you this morning to um, enter the house of the parables. Um, so my dissertation um, that I have to complete as part of my master's is all about the parables. Um, and the topic has taken on a few different incarnations so far. So I've, I've finally settled on the parables and I've finally settled on looking at how trauma is presented in the parables. Um, and I'm hoping that I'm going to produce some sort of Bible study resource that will help people to think about trauma through this biblical lens of the parables and to begin to process trauma for themselves. And the parables are these kind of unique stories of Jesus um, that he used to teach the disciples and he used the, to teach um, other people. Um, and they're repeated by the gospel writers, some of them. Some of them only appear in once, uh, in one gospel. They vary in length. But what sets them apart from a moral tale or a folklore, maybe a bit like Aesop's fables, is that instead of just being stories with a moral lesson, there's lots more to them um, than just those few kind of pithy suggestions of how to live life better. And I've discovered there's lots of debate about the parables of Jesus, why he told them. You'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to put you through that this morning. Um, but I think there are kind of two reasons why Jesus told parables. First of all, I think that he told parables to point to himself as the king of the coming kingdom of God. And then secondly, I think he told them to transform those who heard them. There's a lady called Paula Gooder who's written a lot about the parables. Um, and she's written some of the most recent work on the parables. And she describes them like this. Or she describes her experience like this. She says, My own experience of working closely with the parables over a long period of time is that they have changed me. I see the Gospels differently. I see the world differently. I see myself differently. They have taken up residence inside me. I simply can't encourage you enough to spend time with the parables, all of them, as in their quirky, surprising, suggestive ways, they unravel the world around you and offer a new way of looking at it. They annoy you into thinking new things about God's kingdom. They prod you to new ways of being. They are far from comfortable to read, but they are very much worth the effort. But one of my favorite de definitions of a parable um, came from a, a guy that I've been reading called Kenneth Bailey. And he wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Um, and he talks about a parable like this. He says, it's not a delivery system for an idea, but a house in which the listener or the reader is invited to take up residence. And he goes on to describe how once inside the house of the parables, we can look through the windows from inside the house back onto the world that we've left behind and see it differently. And so I'm going to invite you this morning to come into the house of the parables with me, to stay a little while and to see the world a different way. So here on the screen. The wise and the foolish girls. Then, continued Jesus, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten girls who each took their own torches and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were silly and five were sensible. The silly ones took their torches but didn't take oil with them. The sensible ones took oil in flasks along with their torches. The bridegroom took his time coming and they all nodded off and went to sleep. Then in the middle of the night, a shout went up. He's the bridegroom. Come on and meet him. 
Then all the girls got up and trimmed the wicks of their torches. The silly ones said to the sensible ones, Give us some of your oil, our torches are going out. But the sensible ones answered, No, if we do that, there won't be enough for all of us together. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And so they went off to buy oil. But while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived, and the ones who were ready went in with him to the wedding party, and the door was shut. Later on, the other girls came back. Master, master, they said, open the door for us. I'm telling you the truth, he said. I don't know you. So keep awake. You don't know the day or the hour. Thanks, Judith. Okay, you'll notice that I used a slightly different translation to usual there. So that was Tom Wright's own translation that he put in his commentary. And the reason I used that is because I liked the idea of silly and sensible girls. That made sense to me. I thought that was a, a very articulate way of putting it. Um, and also the, the way that he describes the, the females in this story is... Um, which uh, is a little bit easier to understand when you've got all ages and stages together in church. So uh, it made sense to use that version. But if you want to read it in the NIV, you can get a church Bible and have a look at it in that. It's not too much different, really, to be honest. So there they are, some bridesmaids. I'm not quite sure what I would have thought if my bridesmaids had turned up looking, bridesmaid, I only had one, turned up looking quite like that. But I wanted quite a simple picture to just get the idea across. So they, they were girls who were part of the wedding party, bridesmaids, if you like, in the, in the kind of cultural translation of it for us. And I want to just give you a little bit of cultural background into first century Jewish weddings um, in the world that Jesus occupied, a little bit different to our kind of weddings. So we have hen nights don't we? People who get married and stag do's. We have a tradition quite often of the bride arriving late um, and people being quite forgiving about that or sort of nervously accommodating it. We have venues that are decorated, bands or DJs that are hired. We have disco lights installed. We have speeches that hopefully everyone laughs at and doesn't fall asleep to. But first century Jewish weddings were slightly different okay, to that. They did include parties as well. First of all, there was a procession of the wedding party from the bride's house to the house of the bridegroom. The battery's going, I think, yeah. <clears throat> we'll just change the battery. Okay, let's try that. That's a little bit better, isn't it? Do you want to go and turn it up a little bit, Steve? Is that all right? Thank you. It's on. Is it a bit louder? Good. Yeah? How's that? A bit better? Yeah. Okay. So, first century Jewish weddings, they started 
they had parties, but they started with this procession of the wedding party from the uh, bride's house to the house of the bridegroom. So it was symbolic of leaving your childhood home behind and leaving one family to join another, part, uh, another family. And this was a huge part of the celebration. Um, and those ones that held the torches, the lamps, if you like, with the oil in them or oil on them, depending on uh, how they were sort of organised, they were a vital part. So these bridesmaids, these girls, were a very important part of the procession. If they didn't have those lamps, the procession presumably couldn't go ahead because I don't think they were streetlights in first century Palestine. Not that I'm aware of anyway. Okay? So they're pretty important characters, these young girls, these wise and foolish girls, or these silly and sensible girls. Just a word of warning, I'm not going to go through this verse by verse, so if that's what you were expecting, then you need to read Tom Wright or somebody else like that, very clever, who will go through it all verse by verse. We're going to, to do it slightly differently, but uh, we will look at some of the different verses as part of the story. So first of all, get ready. So G um, Judith read the uh, verse 1 to us, which says this. Jesus, sorry, then continued Jesus, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 girls who each took their own torches and went out to meet the bridegroom. So verse one, I wanted to highlight, they went out to meet the bridegroom. They didn't stay at home waiting for action to happen. They went out expectant. They did what they were supposed to do. And I think that that tells us that we need to sometimes step out of our comfortable places um, expectant that Jesus, the bridegroom, will show up. But I'm wondering, what does this tell us about Jesus? What does this show us about Jesus, this verse? Well, I think it shows us that he's coming. He said, as he went into heaven and at other times to his disciples, that he would return again to the earth. And lots of people believe that this parable is all about that. I'm not going to really focus on that part of it. But he is coming back to earth one day. But also... We have to remember he's already here. That's what this tells us about, uh, that's what this verse tells us about Jesus. He's already here by the power of his spirit. And if we know and we love Jesus, then we can expect to notice him at work in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. But I wonder what this verse tells us as individuals. Well, I think it's as blunt as this. If you want to see God at work in your life, if you want to see Jesus, if you want answers to prayer and to know that God is with you, then you have to expect it. You can't just think that it may or may not happen. And I think that's a challenge for some of us who've maybe become a little bit entrenched in church life. You know, in Christian living, we've kind of forgotten what it actually looks like when we see God at work in small and in big ways every day. Maybe we've been praying for something for so long that we just don't expect God to turn up now. It's kind of become wallpaper in our lives. We just repeat the same thing over and over again. But actually, if we want to see and experience the presence of God in our own lives, then we have to show up too, don't we? We have to be expectant. We have to leave the house of our low or non-existent expectations and enter each day of our lives full of hope about what God is going to do in our life that day. We have to make the habit of showing up in our own life every day, not just going through the motions of living and then a few weeks or a few months or a few years later down the line wonder why nothing is different. 
if God's calling you to be a bridesmaid in his church, then get your dress on and get out there and go and wait for him. (laughs) I think the bridesmaids had a life of waiting. These silly and sensible girls had a life of waiting. And that's a little bit like a life of prayer. The Bible talks about prayer as waiting on God. People talk about prayer now as waiting on God. And I wonder what that looks like. I've been thinking about this a lot recently for us as a church, for us as Barnwell Baptist Church at Howard Road and at Marley. Here's a few provocative questions for us as church. I wonder, are we a church that is willing to show up in prayer? Are we a church that's willing to show up in prayer together, corporately? Are we a church who expects to see Jesus when we pray or when we worship? And I think we need to take some time over the next maybe weeks, months, to answer these questions, not just glibly answering, yes, of course, of course we're a, a church that, ex- that prays, of course we're a church that is uh, willing to pray together, not just glibly, but actually really properly evaluating where we're at with our own expectations of whether God will show up as an, or not, either as individuals or as a church together. I think as leaders, we need to take time to think about how we'd answer those questions in terms of our responsibility for the direction Um, and the steering of our one church, two congregations. And if you're a member here, then you might want to think about trying to face the challenge of answering those questions too. So get going, but be ready. So verse 4 tells us that the sensible ones, not the silly ones, took oil in flasks along with their torches. So those wise ones, the sensible ones, took containers full of oil for their lamps. They were prepared and ready. They had the equipment and the resources that they needed to meet the bridegroom. And if we are Christians, then we have everything that we need for when Jesus shows up to meet and to celebrate with us. We have the oil of his spirit to keep that lamp burning. That's what this verse tells us about Jesus. He equips us. He said, I will send another comforter in Acts 1, 4 and 5. It says, this is after the resurrection. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's given us what we need to be ready. He's given us the oil of his spirit, all the resources that we need to operate as his followers. I wonder what you're like when you um, are getting ready to leave the house. I wonder whether um, you're the type of person that knows exactly what you're going to wear. You've got it laid out maybe the night before uh, or it's maybe hung up, you know, on a coat hanger. It's all very nice and and sorted and you you know exactly what you're going to be wearing or whether you're the person that um, grabs the nearest thing off the chair that is still not quite managed to be put away in the drawer. Okay, what kind of person are you? Um, Maybe have a little think about that. What are you like getting ready to go out somewhere? I imagine that most of us prepare to a certain extent, even if you're not the type that hangs the clothes on the coat hanger and gets it all ready, you probably still spend an amount of time thinking about what your clothes look like, whether they're suitable for the season, 
for the weather that's out there. And for some of us, that might only be 30 seconds of quick, oh, I need a jumper on, I'm going to church, it's cold. Uh, but for others, it might take a little bit longer to coordinate that. But whatever it is, we all take a certain amount of time to get ready before we leave, don't we? We take a certain amount of time to make sure that we've got what we need. And we all know what the day looks like when we're not ready. Those days when you've left the house without everything that you need tend to be quite tricky days and irritating days. And it's very, very similar when we're going to await for Jesus, when we are approaching our walk with him. We need to be intimate with him to be ready to step in whenever he shows up. We need to go on being filled with the oil of his spirit. And I don't think we need to underestimate the amount of time it takes or the amount of time we should spend in prayer with him in the secret place, if you like, when we go to our rooms and we shut the door to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to read the Bible, to ask him to show us what it is that he's wanting to say to us that day. If we only spend 30 seconds on our outfit, which I'll be honest is me quite often, then we're not, we don't need to be surprised, do we, in the middle of the day when we glance at ourselves in the mirror and discover that actually everything clashes and it doesn't go together at all. Or, you know, we don't have a coat on and it's pouring with rain, whatever it is. And I think the same applies to the time that we spend with God, asking him to fill us with his spirit or the time that we spend on the Bible. If we only spend 30 seconds half-heartedly getting ready to be with Jesus, then we can probably only expect about 30 seconds worth of resource later in the day to carry us through our day with him. So some provocative questions for us as a church again in this idea of getting ready, going out and getting ready. I wonder if sometimes we're so eager to get out there and to act. We're activists here at Barnwell, aren't we? We're so eager to be involved in community. It's all good stuff that we're not really very good at waiting on God's presence long enough to know what it means to be a church filled with his presence, with his spirit, with his resource. I think as leaders, we have questions to ask ourselves here at Howard Road and for me as well at Marley. Are we creating space for that to happen, for us to be ready as a congregation here or as a congregation at Marley, a whole church family being full of the spirit, ready to meet Jesus wherever and whenever he shows up. Not just getting out there and being involved in the good stuff, but actually being ready and having everything that we need to do it. Wake up! <laughs> I was really looking forward to doing that. <laughs> okay, sorry if you were asleep at that point. They all went to sleep, didn't they? Verse 5 says, the bridegroom took his time coming and they all nodded off and went to sleep. We've got a blanket in our house that it is inevitable that if you climb under this blanket, you will go to sleep. Dan and I call it the tricky blanket or something like that. I can't remember now. But it's basically, if you put it on, that's it. You're a goner. And I imagine that these girls must have had a, a, a funny blanket that made them go to sleep. Um, the bridegroom arrived later than they anticipated. He wasn't late. He just arrived later than they thought he would, and they'd begun to fall asleep. And I think sometimes some of us have fallen asleep, not literally, you know, like some of you do on a Sunday morning, not when it's this chilly, but on occasion. 
Sometimes we fall asleep and we're not awake to what Jesus is doing. We're not awake to what he wants to do with his church, with the bride. I wonder what this verse shows us about Jesus. Well, I think it shows us something really obvious, that God's timing is perfect, isn't it? He's not early. He's not late. He is 100% on time every time. I think that's quite hard to stomach, actually. As a human being, I don't really like that, but it's true, so we have to put up with it. We don't necessarily agree with his timing a lot of the time, do we? You know, you look at the story of buying the manse at Marley or some of the stories that maybe some of you guys are living right now, things that you've prayed for for ages and ages and ages, and it seems like God's still not turned up in that situation. We might feel like he's late, but a lot of the time I think we just don't have a clue to be honest with you, about what the right time might mean in terms of the kingdom of God. But I want to reassure you that God is here now and that he will turn up at the right time according to his purpose. Some of you have been waiting for a long time for Jesus to show up in your life and to bring a breakthrough that you've been longing for. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't lose heart. Don't give up hope. Just make sure that your hope is in the right thing. Don't set your hope and your heart on the desired outcome. Set your hope in Jesus for that desired outcome. If the bridesmaids or the the girls had managed to stay awake, then perhaps it might have been a temptation for them to respond to every little footstep outside the door. Every sound that they heard, they kind of jumped and went to have a look to see if it was him or not. And you might be tempted to do the same. I know I have been in my life when I've been waiting for God to turn up and do something or for a situation to change. We think that every good idea that comes along is the solution, yeah? But actually... They're not always the right thing. We need to stay alert and watch out for Jesus. Keep fresh in our life of prayer with him. Remain accountable to others. Check our resources. Make sure we know when our oil is running low. We need to attend to our spiritual lives just as much as we attend to our normal, everyday, natural lives, like resting and eating and getting dressed and working and playing. We need to be ready to see Jesus when he arrives and then reach up and lay hold of what he's promised to us. Here's some more provocative questions for us as a church, thinking about this idea of being awake and waking up. I wonder, how are we spurring one another on in our relationship with Jesus? I wonder, as leaders, how are we demonstrating and modelling what it might look like to stay awake and alert in a life of prayer and waiting? And then finally, we're to keep and use the resource. Not quite finally, actually. Verses eight and nine. The silly ones said to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil. Our torches are going out. But the sensible ones answered, no, if we do that, there won't be enough for all of us together. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. The foolish ones um, wanted the oil of the wise ones. But the wise ones said no, because that will make us all late. I wonder, are you someone who digs your own well into the presence of God? Or do you rely on the work that others put in to sustain you? Um, This part of the message isn't going to be for everyone, but we're all going to listen to it or hear it all the same. 
I think sometimes it can be tempting to let others put in the hard yards with Bible reading and prayer and then to just hang on the coattails of what other people are doing and what God is doing in their lives. For example, if the sum total of your relationship with God is what happens in this hour and a half on a Sunday morning, then I want to challenge you and suggest that you're going to find it tricky to grow in maturity as a follower of Jesus. Any relationship requires effort, doesn't it? And I know it's something of a a dirty word in our culture, but discipline of spending daily time with God is the only way to gain a depth of relationship with him and for the spirit to begin to transform you. And I know that the practicalities of how that looks is different for every person. No two people are going to be the same in this. No two people will have identical time with the Lord, just as no two human relationships are identical. So if you like to read, then do that. If you like to listen, then find a way to do that. If you love art and creative pursuits, then illustrate a Bible verse. Do something that allows the Spirit to illuminate it for your life. And it's the same with prayer. There's no limits, I don't think, to how creative we might get in talking and listening to God. We can write, walk and talk, speak out loud, whisper, use the Psalms, get an app on your phone to guide you. And if you're finding yourself squirming in your seat now because you know that this refers to you, that you're not putting in those hard yards of spending time with God, then please don't hear any condemnation from me because it's a daily struggle, isn't it? Even for me, after 40 years being a Christian, our natural inclination is to go it alone. We think we're really clever, don't we? We think that we can manage by ourselves. Or maybe we're just activists and we want to get on with our day. We just want to get stuff done. We want to get out there and go and do life. And sometimes time with the Bible can seem like an indulgence or unnecessary but the discipline really is worth it. And you'll know that if you've ever invested in any relationship. So if you recognize something of yourself in an unprepared bridesmaid or a silly girl, the ones with little to no oil left for their lamps, then my challenge for you, for all of us really this morning, is to stop relying on the oil of others and start putting in the hard yards of being filled with the Spirit of God for yourself, reading the Bible and praying. Maybe you're someone who's got that routine cracked. Maybe you've been spending time with the Lord every day, and you know that joy of reading the Bible, being filled with the Spirit every day. But I've got a word of warning to you as well. Maybe there are people in your life, people that you care for, who are constantly waiting for you to lead them, for you to pray for them. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that's the wrong thing to do. I think we should pray for one another. But imagine that you're teaching a child to ride a bike, okay? At some point, those stabilizers, the training wheels have got to come off, haven't they? If, that child, if the goal is for the child to cycle by themselves on two wheels, then the stabilizers have to come off. And you might think that this just applies to me as a minister or to Stuart as a minister or to the leadership team or even the small group leaders of the church. But actually, we are all people who lead others. Every single one of us, every single one of you sitting now, people who listen online, me standing here, every single one of us is leading someone somewhere. And if we're looking constantly to someone else 
to be led, we're not putting in the effort for ourselves, then we can't expect to grow. Sometimes we're going to have to allow others to make their own mistakes. We need to keep our own resource and use that and allow others to get the resource that they need from their own relationship with God. We're moving into a new season as a church family. We are one church, two congregations. Marley is very, very tiny at the moment, but it's my sincere prayer that that will change, that that will grow over time, and there are going to be distractions. There are going to be pulls on our resources. There are going to be things that occur that we may not have anticipated, but we have to remain true to what God has called us to do to keep that resource and to use it and join in with what he is asking us to do. And sometimes it might feel harsh to say no to people. It might feel harsh to ask people to figure it out for themselves. But actually, if we're going to be good stewards, faithful stewards of what he's placed in our hands, then that's what we need to do. Keep it and use it for the purpose that he's asked us to. And then finally, finally... We're invited to join in. Verse 10, the ones who were ready, who were awake, and they had enough oil, went in with him to the wedding party. So first of all, they'd have had their big procession, and then they would have gone in and had their wedding party together. So we get to join in with the great party of seeing Jesus turn up in our everyday lives, and also when he comes again. We're at the beginning of a big adventure, I think as one church, two congregations. We're seeking Jesus to grow the kingdom here. Are you going to fall asleep and miss it altogether? Or are you going to see it happen but miss out because you weren't ready to join in? Or are you going to get going, be ready, wake up, keep and use the resources and join in? Let's pray together, shall we?